0: Good to be with you here this morning um, after a spring break week, where maybe you had a chance to travel and uh, vacation a little bit. Uh, Maybe you had some chores or some projects around the house that uh, you engaged. And wherever it is you were this week, I can guarantee one thing, things did not go according to. Things did not go according to plan. Um, our week got a little bit more eventful than I would have wanted. Uh, in preparation for today's sermon, I'd been reading the book of James and uh, been uh, just reminded of why we do what we do, what God's calling us to do um, in this life that he's given us. And I had every intention to, to continue to journey through Lent in like this very spiritual way. That I could come before you today and say, man, I, this is possible, guys. The spiritual journey, the submission journey, the uh, humility journey is possible. And it feels like because God knew that was in my heart. This week, he made it a little bit more difficult for me. Um, so this week, we uh, visited some family and uh, in an effort to help. I, uh, I, we helped organize some things that were uh, going on in, in one of our family members' garage. And at the end of it all, you know, so I love to organize. I like to have things clean and and just, like, uh, orderly. Um, There were some things close to the door of the garage, and I I thought, you know what, I I need to make sure this this door can close properly. So I asked someone behind me, hey, can you push that button in the garage? I uh, I looked. the, The road looked clear for the garage to come straight down, or the ground looked clear. And so the garage starts coming down, and all but two seconds later, we hear a big, loud thump. And I look over and there is this bed frame uh, on the side of the rail where the garage door was supposed to come down. And so instead of allowing the garage door to come down, the garage door slams onto this bed frame and literally the uh, the garage door bends. And so I look up and I yell for them to stop and I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am simply trying to help and I think I just made something here that was supposed to be an easy task, very difficult and worse. So. I get into uh, fixture mode, right? We call a uh, an emergency company that could hopefully come and help uh, fix the garage door. I'm on the phone, they ask for pictures, I send it over. Um, they say, "Hey, uh, just muscle it down. It'll be fine. Just muscle it down. I'll come out tomorrow." So I get up there on the on the ladder and you can imagine I'm I I am not a very handy person and I am learning things as I go along now that we have a house and so I'm up there on the ladder, I'm like yanking this garage door trying to get it down and I'm And as I'm doing this, it pops off the rail. And I literally I'm about to drop the garage door off the rails. And so this is just getting worse and worse. I call the guy back. He's like, yeah, you're going to need a new door. It's going to be $3,000. And I'm like, Lord, please help me. I don't know what to do right now. Um, Called another family friend. They came over, finally got the door back on the rails, got it down. Um, That night, go to sleep. And as I'm praying, I'm I'm uh, I'm praying, Lord. I am anxious right now, and I need you. Uh, I'm tired. It's been a long day. I don't have $3,000 to spend on a door. It's not even going to be my own door. And uh, as much as I want to love my family well, uh, I just need you. And and God has something very gracious for me this week, and that is this. Uh, he reminded me that His grace is enough, even in the mundane. That He is present in every part of. My life he is present in in the things that are out of my control especially in the things that are my, out of my control he is beckoning me to come to him and present those things to him that i might find his greatest gift that he has for me and the greatest gift that he has for you today now to finish the story i woke up friday uh, got an early start got in the word i say all right well we're gonna have to figure out how to fix this but let me go to the word and god settled my heart A few YouTube videos later, $36 from uh, Home Depot and some help, and the door was fixed, and uh, we didn't have to spend $3,000. But more than that, God reminded me of why it is that we are in the text that we are in today. And that is this, that he has the greatest gift that he can give you and he can give me. And I want to try something different today. I want to give you uh, just the biggest thing you could take away from today's message And normally I go through this in in, uh, order of verses, but I want to start in the middle today because I feel like if we start in the middle, it'll be easier and better for us to understand really how heavy the front part of this scripture is, but how beautiful the latter part of the scripture is. So go with me to verse 6. And this is James writing, and he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble so this is the biggest thesis statement I could have had for today, and I didn't even have to write it myself. And this is what I want you to take away with you today. But he gives more grace. So I want you to say that with me. But he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. As you journey this week, as you face all kinds of things that are, will be unexpected inevitably this week, I want you to remember this. But he gives more grace. This is the biggest thing that I discovered in this text this week in my life and in in just the mundane is that his grace is far greater, but it's not as easy as, well, he gives me more grace, so good, I'm good to go. No, James is going to point out something in here that is very important for us to understand, and it is this, and I've titled today's sermon this, that we are double-minded saints, that you and I are double-minded saints. The Greek word for uh, double-minded here is dipsuhas, and it is spelled dipsychos. And I just thought that was hilarious, <laughs> dip cycles, that you and I are deeply psychos, right? Like there is something in us that, that is not allowing us to do the things that we want to do. And I just thought, oh Lord, dip-psychos, this is definitely us, that we are these double-minded saints And James is presenting to us this reality that there's this tension, this double-mindedness, this wavering uncertainty, this doubt within us. And what this causes or produces in us is a divided interest. On the one hand, we have this sinful uh, nature, this human body, this flesh that wants things a certain way. And after the fall, what it wants is ultimately for us to be our own gods. And on the other hand, when we've come to faith and we've sung about these things today, that we are no longer slaves, that we are free, that we are children of God. On this side, we want to please God and we wake up ambitious to please God. But there is this sinful nature dragging us back to what we were saved from. And that is this double minded uh, reality that we live in, that while we are on this side of eternity, we will always have this tension And James will show us what this looks like practically on a day-to-day basis. But I simply wanted to show you that on this side, we have pride, and on this side, we have humility. In the flesh, we will have pride, and pride is simply this, that we overestimate how good we are, and we underestimate how much we need God. We overestimate how good we are, and we underestimate how much we need God. For me, it was so evident this week that even in the mundane, my initial reaction was to call someone. And I know it almost seems like over spiritualized to say, well, I should have prayed in that moment. And yet it really was in the word and in prayer that God settled my anxiety and my stress. And he showed me a different way. I truly believe it was God showing me something different, uh, a solution to a mundane problem. But in my flesh, I wanted to do things my way. I wanted to be the fixture. I wanted to be the savior. And God had different plans for me. And so on this side, we have this pride that overestimates how good we are, underestimates how much we need God. And this is our natural bent in sin. But on this side, we have humility. He says he opposes the proud, those that overestimate themselves and the underestimate the need for God. But for those of us that will truly humble ourselves before the Lord, he gives us grace. He gives us the gift of grace. And humility is simply this. is recognizing our great need for a holy God because we recognize how great our sin nature is. Humility, recognizing our great need for a holy God because we recognize how great our sin nature is. Or in other words, having a right view of God and having a right view of ourselves. And so with that, with that lens, let's, let's go back to verse 1. James says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. We don't have to go very far to see that the external realities are indicators of internal, um, uh, deep uh, sins that are in us, right? We don't have to go very far to experience this. Uh, Probably the most famous question that I think comes up after our gathering, after we've spent time worshiping and lifting our hands and receiving the word and saying amen, and, and yes, Lord, your will be done in me. We walk out to the parking lot, we sit in the car, and the infamous question, what do you want to eat? And you guys know what comes after that, right? Uh, well, what do you want to eat? Well, um, I don't know. Give me some options. Okay, what about Chipotle? What about we go home and cook? Nah, I don't really feel like that. And, and we, we spend the next 20 minutes figuring out what we're going to eat, and this probably happens more often than we would like. And then our sinful nature begins to rise up in us, something that your brother here struggles with a lot. When I think about Paul... Uh, talking about the thorn in his flesh. I feel like this is the thorn God has given me in my flesh, and maybe you can relate. And that is this deep-seated sin that's called hangriness. And it's in me. It rises up. This is why fasting the past couple of Fridays has been good for my soul, because this hangriness just, all right, you know what? I'm just going to drive somewhere, and we're going to eat. And all of a sudden, all the joy and the praise and the humility that you guys saw from me in here— goes away and it's because it's my flesh it's my double-minded nature this deep psychosis in me that pulls me away from the humility that God's calling me to right and I know it's such a simple expression but James says no it's actually deeper than this that that the reason we fight that the reason that we have quarrels, that the reason that hangriness exists in me is because there's something deep inside of me waging, he says the word war. This is heavy, this is big, this is not something light. As hang, like The hangriness is a, uh, a product of a deep war and internal struggle that is going on inside of me. Uh, when we left Ash Wednesday service a couple of weeks ago, um, I left. I was so excited and encouraged and motivated to go into the journey with Jesus for 40 days uh, to submit my flesh to him. And I said, all right, we'll submit social media. And in our house, we decided to also uh, submit uh, processed sugars. And so I thought, you know what, this will be good, a good experience for me to submit to the Lord. And all but 20 minutes later, I get home, and my body is screaming to me that it wants a sleeve of Oreos. There is nothing I want more when I get home for MASH Wednesday than Oreos. It's like my body knew that I had said, Lord, I'm going to submit processed sugars to you. And as soon as I got home, it's waging war against me. Bro, you need some Oreos. And these are the thoughts in my head. You know what? We, we really haven't started Lent yet. I could start tomorrow. Um, I'll have some Oreos tonight. You know what, Lord? You know, you know the, my heart. That's the important thing. You know my heart. Now, your brother didn't succumb, thankfully. And, you know, those first few days, difficult. That first week got a little bit better. Second week, a little bit easier, right? So we begin a journey. But what I simply want to show you is that something as simple as sugar what, what what i saw was it, it had this uh, dominion over me that as soon as i got home it's waging war and, and what James tells us here is that this war is happening every single day inside of you, inside of me. It happens in simple things like processed sugars or social media, or maybe it's food, maybe it's drink, maybe it's hangriness, whatever it is that you can identify, these external tendencies reveal our internal realities, that there is this war and tension constantly trying to fight for domination over us. And the word here for desire, The word here for passions is hedone. It's where we get the word hedonism from, that the ultimate pursuit of humanity, this philosophy that the ultimate pursuit of humanity is pleasure. And what we discover that James is showing us here is that this sin of pride makes pleasure our ultimate pursuit and godliness optional. The sin of pride inside of you and me makes pleasure our ultimate pursuit and godliness optional. And we see here that well, the reason we fight is because I, I want things my way. My pride tells me this would be pleasurable. And so I tell you, we're going to do the things this way. And you tell me, no, we're going to do things this way. And instead of having godliness and serving one another and raising one another up, we say, well, no, we're going to do it this way. And we begin to fight one another. And these quarrels are simply a, a symptom of the deep-seated sin of pride that is within us, that is drawing us continually to, to seek passion as our ultimate pursuit and so what we do is we place godliness as optional and he gives us two quick cases on this we desire and we don't have so we murder we covet we don't obtain so we quarrel and fight and you may say I don't I don't murder anyone doesn't this remind you of some words that we uh, that we heard last year when Jesus was speaking to us and he said if you get angry with your brother you committed murder in your The days that I get angry with you, not often, but maybe sometimes, the days I get angry with my wife, the day I get angry with the person that cut me off, it's the days that I murder in my heart, and so I am not far from this text. Why? Because my pride is telling me things need to be my way, and when they're not my way, what's produced in me is not godliness, it is this anger. But... uh, this goes even further, right, beyond just our marriages. It, it, it becomes evident here in our body and, and in our church. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Life Together tells us that we ne- need difficult people in our life because it is where grace becomes evident. And we, in our life's journey to avoid difficult people, to push pe- difficult people away. And, and, and in our confession today, it was a beautiful reminder that we are caused not to push difficult people away. In fact, God wants to reach difficult people with grace. And by the way, you and I are not the cup of tea's that we think we are, right? You and I are these difficult people sometimes. You and I are the ones that cause this strife. And why is this? Because we have this heat on it, these passions, these desires in us that tell us this is life is about you. And when someone else around you doesn't make it about you, then you need to rise up and fight for your rights. Dietrich Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes goes on to say this. He says, In the community of the spirit, there burns the bright love of brotherly service, agape. Love, that is perfect. But in human community that we call spiritual, there glows the dark love of good and evil desire, eros. On the one side we have agape, on the other side we have eros. In the former, there is ordered brotherly service, in the latter, disordered desire for pleasure. In the former, humble subjection to the brethren, in the latter, humble yet haughty subjection of a brother to one's own desire. And the beautiful gift of community now becomes a servant to us. We demand service from God's people, from what God has given us to please our desires. And James says, my brother and my sister, this is not the way. There is something greater that he has for you, but he gives grace. Let's continue in verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The next thing James is going to point out to us almost seems like a contradiction. He says you don't have because you don't ask. But then he says, but you ask wrongly and so you don't get what you ask for because you ask to spend it on your passions. The second verse is qualifying the first verse. It's almost like he's saying you don't have because you don't ask correctly. When you ask, you ask to spend on yourself. And this is the next reality that James points out for us, is that the sin of pride makes us selfish. The sin of pride makes us selfish. And so just as we take good gifts like community and we make them something to feed our pride and our desires, now we take something as beautiful as a gift of prayer and we use it to feed our needs and our desires and our passions. As I was uh, studying some um, some text uh, about this chapter, um, I came across something that uh, in, some, in some churches over the past few years um, has been become more um, evident and it's it's this I'd never heard of this and maybe you have something called a hit list prayer hit list prayer you guys ever heard of this so hit list prayer are 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 these lists that people have created over time uh Christians and I put it in quote because they in an effort to carry out God's will here on earth they have created lists with names names of people they think are getting in the way of God's work Names like politicians, of judges, of dignitaries, people that uh, seem to be doing evil things. And in this hit list, their prayer has been, Lord, you need to kill them. You need to kill these people. And this is like, I didn't realize this was a thing that has come up in the church before. And it seems like a very extreme example of this, right? Like, we're asking for things, but we're not asking correctly, like that, we have, that they had this hit list of prayers. Um, and it almost seems validated by what's known as imprecatory prayers in the songs, where David says, Lord, kill your enemies, destroy your enemies. And we want to take something like imprecatory prayers and make it about ourselves. And James is saying... Uh, this is not the way of grace. No, this is not the prayer life of the saints. And you may say, well, I, I don't really have a hit list prayer. But don't we at some capacity? Don't some of our prayers sound like this? Lord, if you would just change my wife's attitude, we would be happy. Lord, if you would just just help my kids be obedient. We we will be we will have a good week, and all of a sudden our prayers are more a, a hit list on other people that need God, and not a humble coming before the Lord of our desperate need for God, right? But these hit lists are more evident than we realize, and so though we're not praying for murder, we're actually God said if we're angry, we're praying for someone else, and we're saying, oh Lord, I'm ready to lay some hands on some people. He's saying that is not the way, no. And it's also more subtle in different ways, like when we pray, Lord, uh, give me this new job, or Lord, give me this new car, or Lord, give me this promotion, not bad things in um, themselves. But what happens is, if we're being honest, in the deep parts of our heart, in the deep parts of our members, what we're saying is, Lord, if I have this, I'll be happier. If I have this nicer car, this better job, this bigger salary, the things that we've been hearing over the past couple of weeks, if I have this thing that I'm praying for, again, by itself, not a bad thing, I'll be happier. And what James is telling us is we're asking to spend on ourselves. That is not the way of grace. That is the pride in us making us selfish. So we have this reality that sin, the sin of pride, makes us pursue pleasure above all things. It makes us selfish. And then he continues in verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell in us? When was the last time someone called you an adulterous people? It's not a term we like to use here at the Grove often. We don't open up servers by saying, you adulterous people, let us worship, right? Because that's not very encouraging. It's not very, you know, doesn't make us feel good. And yet James says, I have something that you need to hear. It's this, that our human condition is, has not changed. Thousands and thousands of years um, transpire, and yet we don't change. We hear some Old Testament prophets in this voice, right? This is what God told his people in the Old Testament through the prophets, that they were an adulterous nation. Why? Because they would turn to lesser gods. They would turn away from God. And we see this as we've journeyed through Genesis that in the garden Left to ourselves, we never choose God. In fact, we stand in active rebellion against God, and that's what he is saying here. Not, it, we're not just passive about this. When we engage in what Lance has been saying are these pecaditos, these little sins that, that are in us, that we're like, oh, just a little bit of this, just a little bit of that. What, what, what is worse is that we are saying, if I in, engage these sins, these small things in my life, I'm standing not just saying, Lord, I don't need you. I'm actually standing as an enemy, an active rebellion. Lord, I don't need you. I simply need myself. It's even worse, I think, than than, uh, an atheist who says, I just, I don't believe God exists. No, we're actually actively rebelling against God. And he's saying when we are prideful, the sin of pride breaks our relationship with God. The sin of pride breaks our relationship with God. And yes, you and I, these deep cycles, we are double-minded and we are an adulterous people. We have this natural tendency and this natural bend to walk away from God, to turn away from God, to resist God's will for our life. And James has to call us out and say, hey, brother and sister, this is not the way of grace. This is not the way of grace. And this is why we sing songs like the ones we sang today. This is why we sing songs like Prone to Wander, Lord, I feel it, only you can satisfy And uh, I've had this song on repeat, and and if you haven't heard it, I'd encourage you to look it up. It's a song by our uh, our brother Ross King, and it's called Only You Can Satisfy. And, And he opens the song by saying, I have bowed at the altar of the world and its lies, now I long to return to you, only you can satisfy. I have wasted affections on the things that you despise, but I long to return to you, only you can satisfy. And I love that song because this is our everyday war, that I I waste affections on the things that God despises, but I long to be close to my Savior. I bow at the altar of lesser gods and idols, but I long to be before my Lord more than anything. And this tension is constantly driving me back and forth. But James says, that's not the end of it. And he gives us verse 6, but he gives more grace. When I was taught how to write, uh, I was told never to start a sentence with the word but or and. And so whenever I come across sentences like these in the Bible, something sticks out to me. And this sentence, I love it because it is, it is just, I, I just what I held on to this week. But he gives more grace. James is telling us, even though he knows that we will be self-centered, that we will pursue passions, that we will be selfish, that we will continually break relationship with God, He has more grace to give to you and to me. This is the beautiful news of the gospel. Tim Keller says this about the gospel. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe, yet at the very same time are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. That's the good news of the gospel. And then he goes on to say, The Spirit's work of making the gospel real to the heart weakens the self-centeredness in the soul. Let me read that to you again. The Spirit's work of making the gospel real to the heart weakens the self-centeredness in the soul. This is the good news that you and I find today, that even though we are a people full of pride and full of sin, God's grace is greater. We cannot sinfully outpace God's grace. He is constantly pouring this grace out to us, not because we've earned it, but because Christ has finished the work on the cross. And he gives to us grace because God, because Jesus finished that work on our behalf, not because we deserve it and not because we're going to earn it. And that's the reason I just wanted to put this chart before you quickly. If you've seen this before, and uh, then engage it this week. And if you have not, it is simply this. This is the cross-chart of the gospel-centered life. Never mind, it's not up there. Is it there? All right. This is the cross-chart of the gospel-centered life. And it is this, that our journey as Christians doesn't end when we come to Christ. It doesn't end when we become believers. The gospel doesn't end there. The gospel-centered life is this, is that over time, we would grow in our awareness of our sinfulness in this prideful uh, that we would grow aware of our prideful reality that our sinfulness is far wor- uh, worse than we ever thought possible and yet over time we grow in our awareness of God's holiness and as we grow in our awareness of God's holiness and our awareness of our own sinfulness remember what humility is is having a right view of God and a right view of ourselves it makes the cross even bigger over time, that God died to bridge this gap, this big gap between what we know to be sin in our lives, and but also what we know to be a holy God. And the only thing that bridges that gap is the cross. It's the gospel. And this is good news. And so James tells us he gives more grace. And out of this grace, now we get to experience a couple of of beautiful things in the in the life of the spirit. And we'll go through these last uh, last few pretty quickly. The spirit's work of making the gospel real to the heart weakens the self centeredness in the soul. And then we get to see some fruit of this. First fruit we see, verse 7. He said, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. We'll stop there. First bad word we hear today: submit, right? Not a word we often want to hear. I, uh, when I was dating Adira, I would uh, jokingly say that to her, just sometimes randomly. Submit, woman. And uh, she still married me. God's grace. <laughs> God's grace, guys, is all I can tell you. Um, and I'll still throw it here and there. Uh, and she still loves me. <laughs> but this word almost has this kind of negative connotation in our society today, right? Is that- We would be subjected to someone else. No, society tells you, you're your own person. You make your own path. Your happiness, that's what you need to be pursuing. And what Scripture tells us is this great paradox, this upside-down kingdom, that when we uh, accept God's grace, when we humble ourselves, we are freed to submit to his will. And so this part of me that wants to do God's will, this part of me that wants to carry out God's purpose in my life is more accessible when I understand that I am living by grace, that living from grace frees me to submit. This has been a paradox for me as I've journeyed through Lent, that um, the great thing of, of success for me in Lent is not that I would last 40 days with no sugar, It's not that I would last 40 days with uh, no social media. Like That's a good practice, but that's not the end goal. That's a step into trying to have a deeper relationship with the Lord. It's, it's, It's living out of the grace he's given me, not to earn his grace or favor, but because I already have grace and favor, I get to submit these things to him that are waging war inside of me. And what that allows me to do is be freed up that if I am successful in 40 days of fasting, um, from media and sugar and whatever it is that maybe you've placed before yourself, the reward is God. The reward is relationship. It's not that you've accomplished these things, and this is the the paradox in this is that if you've not succeeded quite how you thought you were going to succeed, He gives more grace. And because he gives more grace, the success is not that you have 40 out of 40 days, is that you would repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus. That's the gift of grace that we find in Lent in a season where we are giving up and killing the flesh, is that we find a deeper relationship to God. And so we live out of a free grace he's given us, and this allows us to submit to God. And so he says, out of this grace we submit. He goes on in verse 7, and he says, resist the devil, and he will free, flee from you. Um, you have probably heard uh, this statement thrown around in, uh, in your circles of, of friends and in the neighborhood. Not today, Satan, right? We say that jokingly, like, not today. You're not going to get me today. Um, but many times when we make that statement, it's more a, a, a testament of what we think is our grit. It's, it's our, like, ability to be strong. Like, You're not going to get to me today. You're not going to stress me out today, you know, and maybe you say that more often to your kids than you would like. Not that you're calling your kids Satan, but these moments that stress you out, you're saying, not today, Satan. And I feel like this is probably where this might have a good place in our lives. This is where it comes from when he says that living by grace empowers us to resist the devil. Living by grace allows us, empowers us to resist the devil. And so maybe we say that jungly, but James is saying if if we understand that grace is this free gift, that grace is the reality that we live from, not for, then we'll be able to stand in the face of temptation and we'd be able to resist, that is turn away from the things that are distracting our attention from the Lord and turn our affections and our love and our relationship back to him. And this produces the next thing in verse eight, draw near God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you deep psychos. (laughs) post translation. Um, The next thing we find from grace, and we're about to end here, is this, is that living from grace restores our relationship with God, and as a byproduct, it restores our relationship with one another. Remember, we have fights and quarrels because we sometimes live out of the sin of pride, wanting ourselves to be the ultimate thing that we seek and, and to please. And, and God is telling us when, when we understand his free gift of grace, we don't have to live for ourselves. I don't have to place myself above you. No, in fact, I'm placing Christ above all of us, and that is what unites us. And when we're able to recognize that, we're able to draw near to God. That is why as you hopefully engage prayer this week, Um, and you take time to spend with with the Lord, it it will allow you to draw near to God, and and the beautiful promise that James uh, has for us here is that he will draw near to us, that as we uh, uh, come closer to him, our relationship will grow stronger, and now we're able to relate to one another out of the grace that he gives us, and he says this beautiful imagery that we're to cleanse our hands. It almost seems contradictory, right? Like, if we're living out of grace, not for efforts, then can I cleanse my own hands? Cleanse my own hands? No, the power to do that is not in us. This is all because of grace. But he, there's this idea that we would take our hands out of the earthly, the worldly, the things that are prideful that feed our, our soul, ourselves, and that we would bring our hands to the Lord in service and say, Lord, what would you have me do with these hands? Cleanse them so that I would put them before your service to love my husband, to love my wife, to love my kids, to love your church, to love my neighborhood, to love the nations, to love the people all around me and share the good news of grace with them. When we have our hands in our pride, we have a hard time serving others. But when we lay down our pride and we come before God and say, Lord, I need you more than I realize. Show me how I need you even more. We're able to place our hands before him in service. And then he says, uh, purify your hearts. This is where purification of our hearts happen. It is in being close with God, allowing him to cleanse us of this pride of the sin that is in us. And as he does, he makes us more in the image of Christ so that we can go and tell the world about the good news of Jesus. And so our call is to rest in this grace, not for it, but from it, and to recognize that every hour we need him. And finally, verses 9 and 10, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In this final appeal, we have what looks like a command, but also a promise. You see, when we grow in our awareness of God's holiness, when we grow in our awareness of our own depravity, our own sinfulness, and we see how great the cross is, little sins are not so little because they before a holy God is sin and it separates us from a perfect relationship with God. And so James is not saying that the life of the believer is one of sadness. He's saying when we can recognize the sinful pride in us, these sins in us, that what the, the proper response for a humble believer as before the Lord, is this, that we would cry, that we would mourn, that we would lament, that we would do something to distance ourselves from God, and that we would turn back to him. This is the cry that that James is beckoning from us, that we would turn from ourselves, turn to him, and when we are able to recognize these sins, that we would truly mourn, because these, these are great offenses before our great and holy God. And then he says, the product of living out of this grace is this, is that we would humble ourselves before the Lord and that he will exalt us. And so the final thing we we learn from this text is that living from grace uh, produces humility. My prayer, my hope is that you and I would be men and women of the cross, men and women who can identify that we have this internal battle every day, this war inside of us that's deep in every member of our bodies. And it's constantly trying to pull us away from a relationship with God, from God's perfect plans for our lives, to obey, to follow, to serve. And instead, it's constantly telling us, you are the center of this world. You are the center of your life. You are the center of your story. Make it about you. Pursue your happiness. And James is telling us, no, my brother and sister, there's something greater to be found. Jesus says that if we try to find life, we would lose it. But if we lose our lives for him that we would find life and that simply means is that even in our pursuit of passions and joys what we inevitably discover is that the biggest promises we find in the world never satisfy they never give us what they promise and we find ourselves in this hamster wheel trying to find more but when we lay this life down when we humble ourselves before the lord and we come to him and say lord not my will but yours i laid down my life at your feet to your service what we find is that when we lay down our lives we find the greatest joy we could ever experience that is a deep relationship with christ a deep relationship with one another and a purpose life to share the good news of jesus that that truly blows everything else we could ever experience in this world out of the water and that is what james is calling us to today is that we will lay down our pride that we would pick up humility and that we would come before the Lord, not as deep cycles or double-minded saints, but that we would come in humility and say, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. And remember that when you don't respond in that way, he still gives you more grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your gift of grace that is not earned, that uh, through Lent, as we fast and we try out new disciplines and we fell forward, um, we don't do those things to earn your favor. No, in fact, we do those things because we already have your favor through Jesus Christ. We already have grace through the finished work of the cross. I pray that uh, even now you would awaken in us um, this grace to, to, to live a life out of this grace, that you would uh, allow us to see the deep parts of our hearts that are still not believing that you are better. And so we turn to lesser things. We turn to our pride. We turn to serving ourselves. We turn to selfishness and ambition. We turn to worldliness and stand in opposition against you. And you yearn for us. You you lovingly pursue us that we would not go to the lesser things, but we would find the ultimate and the greater thing, and that is Christ. And so I pray that as we pray this week, as we spend time with you this week, as we continue to fast, as we continue to try to find success in our Lent journey, allow us to humble ourselves before you, to live out of grace, and to recognize that the greatest gift has already been given to us, and that is Christ. And that frees us to live for you, to live for your glory and our own, to be a blessing to our brothers and sisters, to our spouses, to our kids, to our friends, to the nation's and it freezes the Lord, to truly be saints that continually and daily fight the good fight of surrendering to flesh. Let us be men and women who do that, and do that often.